And we are on air. This is Tuesday night, September the 5th, and we're here for our Fan for Racing radio uh, show, and we are reviewing Darlington 2, as well as our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off segment with the Fan for Racing crew. But joining me tonight as co-host is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hi there, Sharon. Um Good to be on for the full show tonight. Looking forward to it. How are you doing? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, I'm going to go over our agenda here real briefly uh, just to let everybody know what the flow is going to be. We're going to start with short track news. Then we'll review the Arkham and Art Series race at DeCoin Fairgrounds this past weekend. We'll include a real brief update for the Arca East and Arca West. We'll let you know when the next races are coming up. During the second half hour, we are going to review the NASCAR Xfinity as well as the NASCAR Cup Series races out at Darlington Raceway. And we'll include an update for the Truck Series to let you know uh, that they will be racing this coming weekend. We'll end our episode, of course, with our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, that'll be with our Fan for Racing crew. And I believe we have Jay and Mike that will be joining us uh, for our Hot Topic Sound Off discussion, Andy. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, Obviously, coming off the, the, uh, the big Southern 500 race weekend, so it'll be fun to talk about uh, all the racing from the weekend and, of course, hot topics with uh, Jay and Mike. Should be fun. Should be. It always is. Okay, let's start with some dirt racing, uh, specifically the Sprint Cars, the All-Star, Circuit of Champions, and USAC. Do you want to uh, start us off there, Andy? Uh, with the short track stuff? Yes. Start with the sprint car. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. Sorry, I had to pull the right one up. But, um, yeah, looking at the, the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series, of course, coming off um, this past weekend, Sheldon Hodden Child kicked off the uh, the Sage Fruit Sega Nationals in Victory Lane. Pretty big deal for him to get that win. And, yeah, um, it was. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead, Sharon. Sorry. No, I was going to say, and you can read about that. that. Alex Knighton writes about that over at theworldofoutlaws.com. And then uh, moving on, of course, Rico Abreu followed up with uh, a night two win at the same speedway. Um, Also, you can find that article by Alex Knighton at theworldofoutlaws.com. And uh, finishing off the sprint cars, when it matters the most, Brad Sweet, of course, a veteran of sprint car racing, returned to top form to secure the weekend finale. And, again, you'll see that written by Alex Knighton at worldofoutlaws.com. Okay, moving on to the All-Star Circuit of Champions. Kerry Matson kicked off the Attica ambush with a Friday win. Uh, that's available over at allstarsprint.com. You can read about that there. And it was Jeb Weiss, though, that stood tall in the $12,000 finale. So, uh, again, that's uh, written about over at allstarsprint.com. And on the youth sack side, Andy, on you the, can uh, always count on Jeb. Yep. 
Uh, Justin Grant uh, continued um, his strong run with a contending for the win. He stood tall in uh, the Silver Crown Series. Ted Ward 100 was, was at the uh, DeQuinn State Fairgrounds. And, uh, of course, you can see that article uh, on USAG Media that was written by Richie Murray. Okay, I'm going to move on to the late models, the World of Outlaws late model races. Uh, Brandon Shepard kicked off the weekend with a victory at Mississippi Thunder Speedway. Nick Graziano writes about that over at theworldofoutlaws.com. And no brakes, no problem. Bobby Pierce overcame brake loss in the final 15 laps to score a series win at Deer Creek Speedway. Again, written by Nick Graziano over at theworldofoutlaws.com. Taking a look at the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series, Ricky Thornton Jr. continued his stellar season uh, with a 17th um, LOL MDS win at Portsmouth Raceway Park. And, of course, you can learn more about that at lucasdirt.com. And uh, in the Hillbilly 100, Jonathan Davenport, of course, known for his uh, strong runs and and success on dirt, surged to the lead early and never looked back. And uh, that, too, can be found at uh, lucasdirt.com. Okay, we'll wrap up uh, our news here with the short tracks. The Wheeling Modified Tour, Ron Silk took his 21st series win at Oswego Speedway this weekend. You can read about that over at Short Track Scene. And then the ASA Midwest Tour, five-time champ Ty Majeski kept things rolling by claiming the Jim Sauter Classic 200 at Dell's Raceway Park. Again, that's available to read over at Short Track Scene. Keep in mind, Ty Majewski's going for a championship in the ASA Midwest, contending for the championship in the NASCAR Truck Series. Uh, also, South Boston Speedway, a win in the, fin- in the finale helped Carter Langley secure his first track championship facility. And Matt Weaver writes about that over at Short Track Scene. And finally, Bobby Isaac Memorial 150. Uh, Cade Brown took a win in the Memorial Hickory Motor Speedway. Again, Matt Weaver writes about it over at Short Track Scene. Uh, so a lot of racing uh, taking this weekend. Uh, I'll take a quick cruise here through Racing America, Flow Racing, and Short Track Scene to see if we missed anything. Uh, Right away over at uh, Racing America, I did see NASCAR Mexico Star is set for the ASA Stars National Tour debut out at Toledo Speedway. That's Andrik Dimayuga. He's headed to Toledo Speedway for that uh, ASA Stars National Tour Glass City 200. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. It'll be uh, fun to see what he can do when he makes that start, for sure. Yeah, and he took a third-place finish out at Winchester as well, so he's uh, starting to make that move into the U.S. for sure. Anything stand out to you over at uh, Racing America? Um, taking a look down through here, nothing that it pertains to short track stuff. There's some NASCAR stuff, of course, that we'll probably get to uh, at some point. But um, don't see anything particularly that stands out. I think that uh, we've done a pretty good job at uh, recapping 
um, quite a bit of the stuff from this past weekend so far. Okay. Um, we mentioned Brandon Shepard. Uh, he's named the new Longhorn, cha- Longhorn chassis house car driver over at Flow Racing. But I think the big news that's coming up this weekend is the 53rd World 100 out at Eldora Speedway, and they've got an entry list posted over at Flow Racing if you want to check that out. Yeah, it's obviously a big dirt race uh, for sure coming up, and certainly looking forward to that. Um, Eldora always puts on a really good show, and and I think that that's certainly, if you're in the area and can get out to that race, that's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, I would agree, definitely. Also, there's a video here. Brandon Ward beats Ryan Newman for the Smart Modified Tour win uh, this weekend at the uh, uh, Carteret Clash on the coast of North Carolina. So uh, it's a two-minute and ten-second video uh, that you can see him muscle his way uh, to that victory around Ryan Newman. Ryan Newman is not one of the easiest guys to get around. No, no, Sharon, he's not. Um, so I think that, that anytime you can win a race uh, against Ryan Newman, obviously, you know, a successful NASCAR driver, but um, really successful in everything he's driven. So anytime you can beat him, you know, that that's that's an accomplishment. So certainly a pretty big deal for, for them to be able to do that. Okay. And, Andy, I want you to uh, take the headline about Doug Kobe from Tommy Baldwin Racing back with the Modified Tour at, pronounce that for me, because I always pronounce it wrong. It's over on Flow Racing. Yeah, the headline. Um, let's see. I know that the Wheel and Modified, it looks like they're at Monadnock Speedway. Is that the one? Or, yes, that's um, the something one. Monadnock. That's how you pronounce that. Yeah, um, I actually saw this news posted from Tommy Baldwin Racing, um, you know, earlier today, and and I just have to comment on it by saying that obviously thrilling to see that team back. We all know that that, uh, team owner Tommy Baldwin Jr. is undergoing treatment for cancer, and that's never a difficult or that's never an easy thing to deal with. So uh, awesome to see them back. I didn't expect them back that soon, honestly, so that's even better news, but um, certainly thrilled to see that that seven car back on the track um, contending for, for wins, you know, and obviously Doug Kobe um, always a contender every time he hits the racetrack. So that should be, that should be awesome. I think that'll um, get everyone uh, feeling good, you know, to see that car back on track this weekend. And um, I think that, you know, it'll hopefully we'll receive a a pretty warm reception from the fans. I have no doubt that'll take place, but um, just, just really glad that they're going to make their return and, and go try to win a race for Tommy this weekend. That's right. I I thought some prayers are with Tommy uh, as he goes through his uh, medical journey here, and uh, we certainly wish the very best for him. Okay, Pro All-Star Series. The Doiron Jerry take the long road to the Oxford 250 field only a couple of hours before the green flag. 
of one of the biggest races in New England, a preseason favorite and former Oxford 250 winner, found themselves battling for one guaranteed spot in the field. Uh, so Jeff Brown writes about all of that over at uh, Short Track Scene, if anybody wants to check that out. Yeah, you know what's interesting, Sharon, about the, the Oxford 250 is that that's in – that's up here in Maine where I live, and don't hate me for this, but I've actually never been to that race, unfortunately, in all the years that, you know, I've been here and lived here and grown up here, being from here. Um, but it, it's actually, you know, having done some research on it, it's one of the biggest short track races in the country. So that's something that I will do at some point. You know, we all have to remember, you know, that, um, you know, grassroots racing is, is really what um, helps develop um, those that make it to the, the big leagues, you know, so um, I'm a huge fan of, of, you know, I've started to become a bigger fan of, of paying more attention um, to, to multiple divisions of racing. So, um, but the Oxford 250 is a big deal. So if you can win that race, that's, that's a huge win for sure. It certainly is. Uh, another big story, and then we'll move on to the Arkham and Art series, uh, Andy. Uh, Hickory's Bobby Isaac Memorial a tickle review and scrutiny. Matt Weaver writes about that over at uh, Short Track Scene. That's part of the NASCAR Advanced Auto Parts weekly series at that track. Uh, so apparently uh, Landon Huffman asserted on his podcast on Tuesday that a rival team, one owned by the son of the track promoter, has received preferential treatment and technical inspection all season long, culminating potentially overruled disqualification after the Bobby Isaac Memorial 150 on Saturday night. Uh, again, uh, something to read about over at Short Track Scene. <clears throat> you always hate it when that happens. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, never, never, never an easy moment for sure. Nope. Okay, we're going to move on, though, uh, to the Arkham and Art Series at the Coin State Fairgrounds. Uh, they raced the Southern Illinois 100 on dirt uh, this past Sunday, and Jesse Love scored his ninth win of the 2023 Arkham and Art Series season in that race. It's his 11th career series win in 44 starts. That's a pretty good average, uh, meaning that he has won one in every four starts he's made in the Arkham Menard series. That's phenomenal. Yeah, Jesse's had an amazing season, um, just just a breakout season with multiple wins. His lead in the Arkham Menard series championship standings has grown to 128 points over the current runner-up, and that is Andreas Perez, um, whom we've talked to on this show earlier this season, who's, who's been a, a, just a, a good up-and-coming driver who's done well but, boy, what Jesse Love has done has been phenomenal. And there's only four races remaining uh, in the series scheduled this year. So uh, things are, are looking pretty good for Love to continue on that quest for the championship. Yeah, really, the battle is further down the list there. But uh, uh, really good runs by both Jesse Love and Andres perez Delara. Now, if, when, if Love can win three of the final four races this season, he can tie – 
Tim Steele's modern era record of 12 wins in a season, and that was set in 1997. Steele also won 11 in 1996. Uh, Now, Ty Gibbs, he won 10 times in his 21 championship season. Both Love and Gibbs earned their ninth win of the season in their 16th start of the season. So we'll see what happens in these next four races. And um, just like Love did in 2022, Brent Cruz came up one position short of earning the performance seed dirt double bonus at the coin. The bonus is awarded to any driver who can win both Arkham Menard Series races on dirt in a single season. And by finishing second, Cruz did lock in a um, 7,500 performance seed dirt double bonus for the driver with the best average finish in the two dirt races with a 1.5 average. Uh, Love finished third at Springfield, giving him a 2.0 average finish in the dirt races, good for a $5,000 bonus. Andreas Perez uh, finished second at Springfield and fourth at the coin, so his uh, 3.0 average finish was good for $2,500. Yeah, it's always nice to see uh, the drivers uh, get those extra bonuses for these kind of um, uh, challenges that ARCA does throughout the season. I always like to see Will Kimmel on the track. We've had him on the show a few times, and uh, he's a fun guy. Uh, Will made his first start of the season and finished a strong third with a legacy engine in the number 69 Kimmel Racing Ford. Uh, He led the 30-minute practice session. He qualified second and ran with the lead group throughout the race. So it was a good run for Will Kimmel. I'm always happy to see that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, continuing on the Kimmel family legacy, really. So always fun to see them run well. Um, William Swalich earned his uh, fourth general tire pole award of the season and led the first 20 laps of the race. Swalich finished fifth, which is his ninth top top five finish in just 10 starts here in 2023. Okay, dirt specialist and uh, probably one of the favorites here in Illinois, Kelly Kosky finished sixth in his 23rd career top 10 finish. Uh, a lot of people were hoping he might come up with the win this week. And Christian Rose matched his career best Arkham Menard Series finish in seventh, um, which obviously has been good for him, you know, as he continued to uh, make starts and improve upon, um, you know, his career so far this season. So solid run for Christian. Yeah, he's been solid all season. Tim Monroe finished in eighth place, one position short of matching his career best set last year at DeCoin when he finished in seventh place. Alex Club arrived at the track just before the start of the race, uh, unfortunately due to having to attend his mother-in-law's funeral. He did finish ninth, uh, his first top ten finish since he finished eighth at Toledo Speedway all the way back in May of uh, 2021, so despite um, having a heavy heart, uh, he's able to come away with a solid finish. Yes, indeed. Uh, Brayton Laster followed his first career top 10 finish at Springfield with another 10th place finish at DeCoin. His Rise Motorsports team arrived late due to a last-minute engine change. That forced him to leave North Carolina at 5 a.m. in order to make the 11-hour drive 
Illinois. Laster missed practice and turned the 13th fastest lap in qualifying for his first lap on the track. Uh, I'd say that's pretty impressive. It is indeed. Uh, No doubt about that. Brad Smith, of course, finished 11th, which is his best finish of the season. And the next race for the Arkham Menard Series is the Sioux Chief Fast Track 150. That's at Kansas Speedway, set for 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, September 8th. The race will, of course, be televised live on Fox Sports 1 and broadcast on select affiliates of the Motor Racing Network. You'll see that, of course, this weekend in conjunction with uh, the upcoming NASCAR weekend. So that'll be a pretty big race for the Arkham Menard Series. It certainly is. Uh, Now, they've got complete highlights uh, from Sunday evening, Southern Illinois 100 at DuCoin over at ARCARacing.com. I do want to go over um, the – let me do it this way. I wanted to go over the uh, finishing order. We did kind of cover – uh, quite a few of the drivers in our review there with the notes. Um, but I want to see if there was anybody that we missed results. <clears throat> um, we covered uh, Jesse Love in the lead, Brent Cruz, uh, both Venturini Motorsports vehicles finishing first and second, Will Kimmel third. Andre Perez de Lara finished in fourth place in William Sawalich in fifth. We mentioned Kalikowski, Christian Rose, Tim Monroe, Alex Club, and Brayton Laster. Those are all your top ten finishers. Uh, some other notables here. Brad Smith came in 11th. Uh, Frankie Munez finished 12th. Then it was Sean Core, Sean Hingarani, another Venturini Motorsports entry, in 14th place. John Garrett, Clayton Weatherman. Dallas Brew and A.J. Moyer rounds out the 18 drivers uh, that finished uh, the race. Um, Not all of them, seven of the drivers finished all 100 laps, uh, and a few others finished, but they finished multiple laps down. Um, So uh, a really good race out there at DeCoin this weekend. Uh, But we've got some races coming up for the ARCA East, and the ARCA West, if uh, if you want to cover those, Andy. Yeah, uh, taking a look at the ARCA Menard Series East, um, taking a look at their next race here, which will be um, the Bush's Bean 200 at the, the, Bristol, the Bristol Motor Speedway on uh, September 14th. And uh, we all know how Bristol can be, so that's going to be a fun one to watch. And, and like you mentioned, that is, the season finale for them and the uh, Arkham Menards West series, taking a look at what they've got coming up. Um, it'll be the Napa Auto Care 150 at the All American Speedway. That's on September 30th. They are far from done their season, though. They have uh, four races left in their season, so a lot left to go for the Arkham Menards West series, but you'll see them at the end of this month on September 30th. Okay, and as we mentioned, there's four races left in the Arkham Menard Series. Their next race is coming up this weekend, September 8th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time at Kansas Speedway, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1 uh, for those fans that want to tune in for that race. Um, 
So uh, still a lot of racing left here in the Arkham Art Series, but the season is winding down. If you want to, uh, William Sawalich had the uh, Reese's sweet move of the race at DeCoin. I think that's at DeCoin. No, that was the Strucker race. Um, they don't have the sweet move of the race here. But uh, usually we get to vote on what the sweet move of the race was. Uh, for some reason, it's not here for uh, this week. Uh, but on Tuesday, I'm sorry, Thursday, uh, Jay and I will be reviewing or previewing uh, the race that's coming up at Kansas Speedway this coming weekend. All right, uh, let's go ahead and move over to the Xfinity Series. Uh, They uh, did race this past weekend. Uh, They raced out at Darlington Raceway, and the winner was a non-Xfinity Series driver. Uh, Denny Hamlin came down. He does that occasionally, and he especially likes to race at Darlington Raceway. And so he was racing in the number 19 Sports Clip Haircuts Toyota this weekend for Joe Gibbs Racing with Jason Ratcliffe as his crew chief. It was his 18th victory on 164 Xfinity Series races, his first victory and first top 10 finish of this season for the series, and his sixth Xfinity Series win and 13th top 10 finish in 15 races at Darlington. Austin Hill finished second, posting his fifth top 10 finish in five races at Darlington, and his 18th top 10 finish this year. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek, he finished third, posting his fourth top 10 finish in five races at Darlington. The highest finishing rookie was Chandler Smith, and he finished in 12th place. Uh, Hamlin took his sixth win, uh, and he resumed his mastery of Darlington Raceway on Saturday, winning the race uh, and raising his victory total to six. Uh, Running his lone Xfinity Series race of the season uh, at uh, Darlington this weekend, uh, he came in first place. Austin Hill lost the lead on an overtime restart and finished second. Then it was John Hunter Nemechek, as we mentioned earlier. He led a race-high 99 laps from the pole and won both stages to finish third. Then it was Cole Custer and Josh Berry rounding out the top five. Riley Earps had a solid points day. He finished in sixth place, followed by Justin Algauer, Sheldon Creed, Kyle Busch, and Daniel Hemrick round out the top 10. There were 15 lead changes among five drivers, seven cautions for 34 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 106.826 miles per hour. The margin of victory in this race was 0.657 thousandths of a second. So it was uh, pretty close between Denny Hamlin and Austin Hill. He just couldn't seem to get around them. Your thoughts about the top ten finishers here, Andy? Yeah, I needed points, and boy, did Denny Hamlin come through. I got lucky with that um, in my fantasy, so pretty excited about that. But, um, you did. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously Denny Hamlin doesn't run too many Xfinity races, but um, he's so good at Darlington, and he's so good in, a, in an Xfinity car, so... 
um, him winning wasn't much of a surprise. But Austin Hill, I think, to me, was um, perhaps one of the more impressive finishers in the top ten. And I say that because he's really started to break out as a well-rounded driver, known, obviously, for his success on super speedways, where he's won several races. Um, We're starting to see Hill be a contender everywhere, and I think that, to me, um, is the sign of somebody that is going to be very, very tough to deal with as the playoffs continue on and and moving into next year, where he will once again be a full-time Xfinity Series driver. Um, So I think that's what stood out to me probably the most of anybody. John Hunter Nemechek, of course, really dominated the race, um, you know, and it wasn't until late that Hamlin got up there and took the lead, but Nemechek really um, was the dominant car, so I have to believe that third was a bit of a disappointment. Fourth is right really where Custer was most of the day, so not a surprise there. Um, And then you've got Barry, Herbs, Allgaier. Um, Allgaier is a bit of a disappointment to me. Kind of felt like he would be up there contending for the win, as he's done in the past at Darlington, but nonetheless a solid finish. Um, Sheldon Creed, you know, really needed a strong run, um, you know, to continue forward um, to walk into the playoffs. But I think looking at the points, he's in okay shape, but obviously, you know, would, would have probably liked to have won. And then uh, Kyle Busch, I mean, just somebody that who has as many wins as he does in the Xfinity Series, really a non-factor all day. Um, and, of course, Daniel mm-hmm. Hemrick running all the top ten. So um, some surprises in the top ten, but uh, really just, uh, I think, about what you'd expect, I think, for an Xfinity race. Yep, yep. The the rookies, you had uh, Chandler Smith in 12th, Parker Retzlaff 13th, and uh, Sammy Smith uh, with a 17th place finish. Uh, there were... All the cars were running at the end of this race, uh, but let's see. And quite a few cars actually finished all 148 laps, down to 32 cars uh, finishing all 148 laps. The rest of the cars uh, actually uh, finished the race, but they were laps down, uh, so uh, or multiple laps down. Kyle Larson, it wasn't his day in the Xfinity Series. But, Andy, i got to tell you, you had two number one finishes uh, this weekend. I had two number two finishes this weekend. <laughs> well, we'll take it. That's good because I can tell you from the last uh, points report that I, that I got from Jay on the show here probably a couple weeks ago, I can use every single point that I can get. <laughs> So this is definitely a step in the right direction. You know, I can't guarantee if it'll be enough or not, but certainly going to put forth my best effort uh, to get as, as much as I can um, here in these, these closing weeks for sure. Absolutely. Now, this is the next to the last race. Uh, Darlington was the next to the last race. Uh, so for the regular season in the Xfinity Series. So we will know next week when they race at Kansas, the season finale for the Xfinity Series, who the regular season champion is going to be. Um, but uh, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I think it's going to be an intense race, Sandy. I think so, too. And, and the truth of the matter is um, – Kansas has really turned into one of the, the best intermediate tracks with its worn-out surface 
in wide racing grooves. Um, you know, we've seen some phenomenal racing at Kansas, really much like we used to see at Chicagoland Speedway, very similar uh, racetracks that actually uh, started on the circuit the same year back in 2001. And so, you know, those old worn-out surfaces really put on a good show, and Kansas has really come alive, I think, as, as one of the more uh, popular intermediate tracks. So to your point, we will see pretty wild racing this weekend, especially in the Xfinity Series where um, a playoff spot is on the line, and it's a very, very tight battle between Parker Kligerman and Riley Herbst. Who gets it is anyone's guess, but we could, you never know, could see somebody win their way in that we aren't looking at. So it could be a very interesting race weekend, and, and I think that, uh, you know, we're in for um, some really good racing this weekend. Of course, that's the Kansas Lottery 300 for the NASCAR Xfinity Series, and we'll see that take place this coming Saturday. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. And I'll tell you, uh, Jay and I, again, will be previewing it, but uh, it's going to be a big weekend. You've got the Truck Series racing this weekend at Kansas. That's an elimination race for them. (laughs) Uh, And then you've got uh, the Xfinity Series ending their season, their regular season at Kansas. And then Kansas is also going to be, am I right about that, an elimination race for the – no, Darlington was the first race. So Kansas is the second race of the round of 16 for the Cup Series. Yeah, this is round two. Um, their elimination will be Bristol in, in a couple of weeks. That's right. That's right. But let's uh, getting back to the Xfinity Series, let's cover where they are with the points as it stands going into that final race of the season. Yeah, no worries. Let me just pull those standings up here real quick. Um, let's see. Got to get to the right page here. Bear with. If you want to start us here, yeah, so, I'll have it up here in just yeah, a minute. I'll go ahead and get started. I'll just do the top five, and then you can. I'll do the top. Uh, yeah, the top six, and then you can do the okay. next six. Um, Perfect. Okay, Austin Hill. Uh, is at the top of the points at 968 points. He's got the 24 plus points. Uh, John Hunter Nemechek is second at 904 points, 23 points back. He's got 32 uh, playoff points. Uh, with 18 playoff points, it's Justin Algauer in third. He's uh, 33 points back. Uh, then it's Cole Custer. Uh, he's 107 points back with 10 playoff points. Also with Point playoff points to Sam Mayer, uh, and he is 187 points back. Josh Berry at the top six, and uh, he's just at three playoff points right now. As a matter of fact, uh, those five drivers all have double digit playoff points. Everybody else is zero or single digit playoff points. All right, Sheldon Creed, of course, back in seventh with 712 points. One point back of him is Daniel Hemrick in eighth. Chandler Smith, the rookie, of course, there in ninth with 706 points. But the real battle, of course, is for that final spot. The Xfinity Series, who I believe used to be a 12-car playoff field, is now just 10 cars that will be eligible for the playoffs. Riley Herbst uh, holds that final spot with 657 points, but just one point back is Parker Kligerman, and that battle could certainly go either way this weekend. I think that's going to be – Probably the most exciting part of, of this weekend is who gets that final playoff spot. It should be a lot of fun. 
Well, keep in mind, Jeb Burton, who right now is 13 points, actually has a win, as does Sammy Smith. So those guys move. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they, I stand corrected. It is actually a 12-car. It is actually a 12-car field because Sammy Smith and Jeb Burton have race wins. So that that's the your um. So there's 10 winners, and then you've got Klingerman and Herbs, um, who are onto those final spots there. I'd have to look at the playoff standings to be sure, but that is a good point that you do have drivers outside of the uh, the top 10 there that actually do have wins who are locked into the playoffs. So I I think it is actually a 12 car playoff field. It is. It, it is a 12-card playoff field. So we'll find out who those 12 drivers are going to be. Uh, right now, Parker Kligerman and Sammy Smith are on the outside looking in uh, with, well, Sam, no, Sammy Smith is in, but Parker Kligerman is displaced because Jeb Burton has a victory. So he's on the outside right now. Uh, but who exactly. knows? He could come up with a win. Yeah, that's just it. it I mean, this is, if he this does, is that Hail Mary moment, right? If he does come up with a win, that would uh, displace Riley Herbst, then he would be the next driver to be displaced if Kligerman does come up with a win at uh, Kansas. So it's it's going to be intense racing, I think, uh, for these guys and because uh, everybody wants to make that 12-driver playoff field. Yeah, they do, and that's um, and that's a good point. And and to your point, obviously, look, I'm looking at the playoff standings now for the Xfinity Series. Riley Herbs um, is is back there, um, just one point ahead of Parker Kligerman. So um, obviously, yeah. um, obviously, that is the real battle there. Uh, Riley has that 12th spot, um, but Parker obviously only one point back now. The, the other drivers who can probably breathe a little bit easier, Daniel Hembrick is 55 points ahead of Herbs in, in eighth, um, actually 11th in playoff seating, but he's eighth in the standings. Sheldon Creed, Josh Berry, none of those drivers have won races this year, but they are solidly in there based on points. So really it's going to come down to the 98 or 48, or, you know, I I I think we might be overlooking some other drivers here too. One name that really stands out to me, and I know you guys will preview this this Thursday, so I don't want to get too deep into it here. Yeah, but Brandon okay. Jones's best Brandon Jones's best racetrack is is arguably Kansas, and although it's been a difficult season for him in that nine car JR Motorsports, like in my my mind, you know, somebody like that could could easily win this weekend at Kansas. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't overlook Brandon Jones um, because, this, you know, I, I know he's had a tough year, and, you know, Mike and I can be tough on him sometimes, but this is his best racetrack. And if there's ever a, a game seven moment, if you will, for him, it would be this weekend to go out there and win. And if he does, that could really shake things up. So there's there's so many fun storylines to look at. I, I, I'm certainly looking forward to it because, we we could see something that we're we're not expecting, and uh, it's going to be fun to watch for sure. It is definitely going to be fun to watch, and and you're right. There's drivers below the cut line right now that could come up with that victory. Uh, Brandon Jones is one of those drivers. Uh, Brett Moffat hasn't won, uh, but we know he's a good driver. 
you just never know what can happen, uh, especially on the 1.5-mile track. So, uh, it, But i got to tell you, they're going to have some tough competition. Uh, I don't know if you've looked at the entry list yet, but um, <clears throat> for next week's race, uh, let me just kind of go back to that. Uh, the next race, the uh, uh, Xfinity Series here is the Kansas Lottery 300 on Saturday at 3 o'clock. And uh, that entry list, uh, let's see if I see anything that stands out here. I didn't see any cup drivers. I did look down through, and it appears to be Xfinity Series regulars in this race. Um, so no, okay. nothing crazy. Nothing crazy going on here. So I, I think it's going to be our usual suspects up at the front. Um, yeah. Unlike, <laughs> of course, um, unlike Darlington, where we had Denny Hamlin, Kyle Busch, and, and Kyle Larson in the field. Um, I have gone down and looked, and I, I didn't see anyone that stood out to me yeah. that doesn't normally race the Xfinity Series. So it'll be, I think, a battle battle of the regulars this weekend, if you will. And, and maybe I think it may have to be that way on purpose because it's um, their, the last race of their regular season. I may be wrong in saying that, but I think that might be why. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, it could I be a fun battle. Right. It's, a, it's a cool racetrack. So the battle amongst the regulars is, is going to be a good one. It is. It is indeed. Uh, real quick, while we've got time here, I want to tell you about when the next truck race is as well. Uh, the next race for the truck series uh, is also at Kansas, the Kansas Lottery 200. That will be Friday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, September the 8th. And it will, be, of course, be on Fox Sports 1 and radio stations MRN and Sirius XM. So uh, it's uh, going to be an elimination race uh, for the uh, truck series. So if we look at their series uh, point standings real quick here, Andy. The driver points after the Clean Harbors race at the Milwaukee Mile. Uh, it is only 10 drivers that are in that playoff field, but two of those drivers will be eliminated. That puts Ben Rhodes and Matt Benedetto below the cut line heading into this elimination race. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, this is obviously going to be – it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I'm going to pull the truck series standings up here to look at them, but, um, you know, obviously it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tight battle there for sure, and, and it's really tough to say exactly how it's going to go. Um, you know, taking a look at their, their playoff standings right now, you know, I think it um, looks like the cutoff at eight drivers, right? So – um, right. You know, you've got somehow, which, I mean, Rhodes is in, I think, because he's won this year. So you're looking at a pretty tight battle there between Nick Sanchez and Matt DiBenedetto. Um, you know, DiBenedetto is, is almost in a must-win situation. He's 20 points back of, of um, you know, where he needs to be to get in, you know, below the cut line, unfortunately. Um, well, Trapp keep in and, mind. You know, Keep in mind real quick, uh, Andy, uh, they've already started their playoffs. 
So they they are in their third race. Kansas will be their third race of the round of 10. And uh, after Kansas, two of those 10 drivers will be eliminated. So Rhodes got his win to get into the playoffs, but he has to get another win or be in the top eight in points in order to advance. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at is I'm actually looking at the cut line for this, this round of the playoffs. So um, it will go to eight drivers after Kansas. So it started out with the round of 10, and then it moves to the round of eight, which will become the round of four um, to close out the season. So, yeah, basically, you know, Rhodes and Benedetto were, were in, of course, um, but um, currently Rhodes is three points below the cut line, De Benedetto 20 below the cut line. Um, and on the flip side of it, Crafton's only nine points above, and Sanchez is only three points above the cut line. So that's actually a, a pretty good battle there between those four drivers. Um, I think you got to feel pretty good if you're Zane Smith on forward, I guess. But really, um, you know, Zane Smith, Josevar, all of those guys are in pretty good shape. But I would feel pretty nervous if I was crafting on back because it, there's really no safety net there. So if any one of these drivers has a bad race, that's that's probably the end of it as far as any hopes of continuing forward into the playoffs. Yeah. Well, we know Matt Crafton is good on the 1.5 miles mile track with Ben Rhodes. Uh, you just never know what can happen. Uh, we could be in for a surprise here too. Uh, yeah, I I think that I think we will be in for a surprise for sure. You know, because it, anything can happen, and, and you know the playoffs oftentimes bring us some interesting scenarios. So. Um, yeah, it's really hard to say what's going to happen, but that'll be a fun one to watch Friday night for sure. Yeah, definitely will. Okay, let's go ahead and go over here now to the uh, Cup Series, uh, the notes that we've got there. Uh, again, you came up with the race winner, Andy. It was Kyle Larson, age 31, uh, driving the number five HendrickCars.com Chevrolet for Hendrick Motorsports with crew chief Cliff Daniels. Uh, It was his 22nd victory in 322 Cup Series races, his third victory and 13th top 10 finish this season, and his first victory and eighth top 10 finish in 12 races at Darlington. Tyler Reddick, who is my pick, he posted his fourth top 10 finish in nine races at Darlington and his 12th top 10 finish this season. Chris Busher, boy, I thought he might pull it off there too. He finished in third, his fourth top 10 finish in 13 races at Darlington. And Ty Gibbs, actually the only rookie uh, in the Cup Series right now, was Ayas finishing rookie. He finished 21st in that race. Um, now I just want to do a quick recap here. Uh, Kyle Larson is back. Uh, the 2021 Cup Series champion held off a desperate charge from fellow playoff driver Tyler Ruddick in a sold out Darlington Raceway to claim victory in Sunday night's cookout Southern 500. He that earns him an automatic berth into the round of 12, the first driver to do so. Um, the win again was the third of the year the first at Darlington and 22nd of his career Tyler Reddick in second followed by Chris Buescher then it was William Byron Ross Chastain 
Brad Keselowski, Bubba Wallace, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, and Eric Jones rounding out the top 10. Larson took the lead on his final pit stop with 56 laps left in the race. He held off Reddick the rest of the way. The pole winner, Christopher Bell, made contact with the wall early and was caught in a late accident. He ended up finishing 23rd. Other playoff drivers had uh, big issues throughout the race. They include Kevin Harvick, who was running second under with under 60 laps to go when he headed to Pitt Road for a green flag stop. The caution came out just before the he hit pit road, and he was penalized for pitting while the pit road was closed. Denny Hamlin dominated much of the race. He led 177 laps, but had a loose wheel during a pit stop on lap 269. He was involved in a late accident and ended up finishing 25th. Michael McDowell, he lost a lap on track. Uh, during the first stage, he took the wave around just before the end of stage two to get back on the lead lap, but fell back later. He was involved in a late accident and was not able to continue. His car was a mess after that. There was a red flag on lap 189 to repair lights that had not come on over in turns three and four. Stage one and two were both won by Denny Hamlin. There were 13 lead changes among seven drivers, eight cautions for 51 yellow flag laps, and the average speed of the race was 120.906 miles per hour. The margin of victory, 0.447 thousandths of a second between Kyle Larson and Tyler Reddick. The top ten here. Andy, are you still with me? Uh, yeah. Um, did you want me to run through the top ten positions? Yeah, just give me your thoughts about the finishers. Eric Jones, the only driver, non-playoff driver in the. Yeah, that's um, and that's not surprising, right? I feel like when the playoffs come along, it seems like you know it brings out the best in these teams. They're in the playoffs for a reason, so you'd expect a strong performance from them. Um, obviously Larson winning, um, which is why I picked him, wasn't a big surprise. He does really well on worn-out racetracks, being a dirt racer. The same with Reddick. Reddick would have been um, probably my number two pick if I couldn't get Larson. So, obviously, to your point, Sharon, that was a smart pick. Uh, Chris Buescher, I mean, really has just been phenomenal the last several weeks. Um, you know, William Byron, Ross Chastain, Kozlowski, uh, those are all pretty predictable finishes. Bubba Wallace, I feel like, is doing what needs to be done, um, you know, from their standpoint, if they're going to make the next rounds of the, of the playoffs. And certainly when you look at um, how some of the other playoff cars did, um, they had a really good night. Seventh wasn't bad. Um, Chase Elliott, mm-hmm. although is not a playoff driver, um, that car is a playoff car. So, um, you know, from an owner's point perspective, they put together an okay finish. Um, Blaney in ninth, Eric Jones in tenth, and, and you know Eric runs really well at Darlington, so a top ten for him um, is pretty predictable. Um, and I'll just I kind of want to touch on some highlights here of the rest of the finishing sure. positions, in particular the playoff cars. Um, you know, drivers that didn't really get the night that they needed. Um, you know, Kyle Busch in eleventh, Logano in twelfth. Those are okay finishes, but. Um, 
you know, I'd have we'll we'll take a look at the playoff standings here in a moment, obviously. But you know, those those are okay finishes. But when it comes to the playoffs, you gotta you gotta try to be better than that. Um, same with Stenhouse, Stenhouse in sixteenth, um, and then really the drivers that just had a tough night. I hate it for you, Sharon, but Martin Truex um, just they had a tough night on pit road and the pit strategy it just seemed like things just didn't didn't go their way, unfortunately. In 18th, same with Harvick, they they came to pit road when the pits were closed, um, you know, and for a car that appeared to be contending for the win, they were relegated to a poor finish. Christopher Bell. That was um, was a timing thing. Right, right, exactly. He he was already committed when the caution came out. And that's just unfortunate luck, you know. You hate to see that, but... Unfortunately, it took them from contending for a win all the way back to 19th, and that could. And Harvick's points position was precarious going into the race anyway, so I think that puts him in a bit of a hole moving into the the final few races of this round. Um, you know, and then you look at other cars that probably should have had a, a winning or contending for a win type of night, you know, and didn't get it. Christopher Bell. In 23rd, Denny Hamlin, 25th, after winning the first two stages. Those have to be very disappointing finishes, but for probably the most critical night was Michael McDowell, who finished in 32nd due to a wreck not of his own doing. Um, You know, I think that puts them in a very difficult spot going into these next two races, almost in a must-win situation at this point. Um, I don't know, it's tough, you know, but definitely some, some really good nights and some, you know, nights that, teams probably needed in order to make the next round. And obviously some teams already in a hole here after just one race. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how these teams can uh, bounce back from that at uh, Kansas and Bristol, of course, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. And it should be noted, even the non-playoff drivers, they're still contending with each other uh, to be as high in the points as they can possibly be. Uh, they know they're not going to be in the top 16, but they want to be as close to that as they can possibly be. Uh, And there were some incidents with that, too, specifically Alex Bowman and Daniel Suarez. Harrison Burton was the innocent victim there. Um, So uh, there's there's still a lot of racing going on in the track. And I was was kind of impressed. There was a lot of passing uh, going on at Darlington throughout that race. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an old, worn-out surface, um, which really puts um, the cars really in the hands of the driver. And I think managing tires, you know, having to try to have a car that's good in the long run, obviously a slick, worn-out racetrack really, I think, puts it back in the driver's hands more so than other racetracks. Um, and I think that's why you see um, more passing because it, it just, it's really more driver control, I feel like. And that's what I love so much about Darlington. It's such a historic racetrack, an old worn-out surface, and really lends itself to, to good racing. Absolutely. All right. Uh, do you want to cover the uh, points report for the Cookout uh, Southern 500 this weekend? After that, yeah, that race? Look at the, um, I've actually specifically got the playoff standings up, if that's okay with you. Um, taking yeah, a look here fine. at the uh, – the playoff ranking, of course, Kyle Larson, by virtue of that big win in the Southern 500, um, is the leader in the playoff standings, followed by William Byron in second, 
uh, Tyler Reddick in third. And this also correlates to their points position as well. Um, Chris Buescher in fourth, Denny Hamlin's in fifth. And these drivers are all well above the cut line. Um, Hamlin, of course, in fifth in, in the points, and he's 27 points to the good. You look at Martin Truex yeah, Jr. Yeah, Denny and Chris are tied. They are indeed, yeah, 27 points above the cut line, which is a good spot to be in. Um, Martin Truex Jr., we talked about the finish that he had, which was tough for him. However, he's 25 points to the good, and that's by virtue of being the regular season champion, team extra bonus points. And, you know, that's what, what's so good about the season that he's had. You know, earning that regular season championship has, you know, earned him the right to have a bit of an off race at Darlington, but still be good in the points. And so I feel pretty good about him obviously continuing forward into the playoffs. Kyle Busch um, had an okay finish. He's 20 points to the good uh, in seventh. Brad Kozlowski, uh, 18 points to the good in, in eighth. Ryan Blaney, 16 points to the good in ninth. And then this is where I start to to see some possible fluctuations going on here. You've got, obviously, Ross Chastain in 10th. He's only 13 points to the good. Joey Logano in 11th, just three points above the cut line. Christopher Bell, just one point above the cut line. We talked about Bubba Wallace needing a good finish. He got a good finish, but he's one point below the cut line. Kevin Harvick really could have used either that first or second place finish, and he's only he's two points below the cut line. And then, of course, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., four points below the cut line. And I talked about Michael McDowell being in a bit of a hole. He's 19 points below the cut line, really really needs a good run at Kansas this weekend. Yes, indeed. Um, And uh, Darlington, of course, was the first race of their round of 16. Kansas is the second race. And you mentioned it earlier, Bristol is going to be their uh, cutoff race where they pare it down to just 12 drivers that move on to that round of 12. So, um, a lot of these drivers that had a bad start, that's their one mulligan, uh, and those drivers are going to be really looking to rebound at Kansas and uh, not dig that hole any deeper than what it is. Yeah, and, and you know, you have to you have to really wonder, you know, what's going to happen at this, this weekend, and that's what's going to make it fun and exciting. Um, There'll probably be some more fluctuations in the points, you know, but certainly the drivers that had an off race at Darlington really can't afford to have two in a row. I think if you have two bad races in a row, you're probably not moving to the next round. And, you know, I I look at this this cut line here, um, you know, the, the four drivers below the cut line right now, Bubba Wallace, Kevin Harvick, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and Michael McDowell, um, you know, I think that that's, kind of where a lot of people probably thought that that, that cut line would look like that, uh, except for maybe Harvick. Harvick, you know, looked pretty good uh, Sunday night and obviously had a tough, mm-hmm. tough race. But um, the drivers that are currently above the cut line, I you would expect them to be there. But, you know, to the point of, of not knowing what's going to happen, you can't count some of these guys out. And I look at Bubba Wallace. I mean, he won this race a year ago at Kansas and has run really well there. Toyota has run really well there. Um, I I don't think you can count him out. That's somebody that could easily go and put together a a top-five finisher or win this weekend. Same with Harvick. Harvick and, you know, Stuart Haas Racing, although they're not where they need to be quite yet, they seem to be showing some signs of life. 
they could easily come back with a solid finish this weekend too. So there's still two races to go. I don't think you can get too excited about it. I know that um, one of our hot topics this evening is, is going to be about this very subject of, you know, is it time to panic or not as far as where these drivers are ranked in the playoff standings. But um, there's, I think it could get interesting this weekend. You're going to see more fluctuation and it probably will look quite a bit different uh, to check and flag on Sunday. Absolutely. Did you do a playoff grid, Andy? Oh, I didn't. Oh, are we supposed to do that? Actually, I never no. did it last year, didn't we? Um, I think we did think do we it before, last... but I don't think we did it this year. No, I, I haven't done one. I didn't even think about it, honestly. Um, you know, but um, i got to be honest, looking at the, the current standings, and, and the current, you know, drivers above and below the cut line, I almost think that where it's at right now is pretty close to what I would probably guess. But I, I do think there will be more fluctuation in this. And, and I, I really think that, you know, I honestly – look, I'm going to target Bubba Wallace as somebody that can win and get a, and get themselves into the next round. I know a lot of people, you know, look at him as a first-round exit, but I, I think you can't overlook the fact that Kansas is – one of his best racetracks and, and 2311 racing's best racetracks. So I don't know. I, I think that, it, you know, it can get interesting. And I do think that somebody that we're all expecting to be a first round exit is not going to be a first round exit. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Well, the rest of our fan for racing crew is here. So let me, first of all, welcome them to the show. First of all, uh, Jay, welcome. Thank you. Uh, happy I got to at least be on for hot topics, uh, and I know it's a Tuesday, but been an eventful four or five days for me, so I appreciate Andy. I know you guys were able to fill in tonight. I thank you so much for that, and jump in the conversation as the best I can here tonight. Yeah, you're welcome, okay, Jay. Well, help you out, for sure. Okay, and also we have Mike Orzel here. Hey, good evening. Glad to be back. Okay. Uh, Jay, let's start with you for the hot topics here tonight. What do you want to start with? Well, I think the one actually factual black and white uh, topic that came out was that Denny Hamlin did indeed sign a multi-year contract extension with JGR, as well as then following that, which we knew that was coming, his expectation was to have 2311 also signed up with Toyota and continue that alliance. Yeah. Mike, your thoughts there? You know, if it hadn't been for what happened last year, I would have said this is not a surprise at all, and it's pretty much a non-story. But with what happened with Kyle Busch, I'm still not going to say that it's a surprise that Jenny Hamlin's back with Joe Gibbs Racing, but – it, it felt like it was more of a possibility than uh, than maybe it otherwise would have been had Kyle Busch actually been able to make a deal with Joe Gibbs and stay with that team and Toyota as well. And we all see how that worked out. Uh, they did say a multi-year deal, which I do find interesting, just based on Denny Hamlin's age. I think a lot of people are kind of assuming that Denny Hamlin is getting to the age where he's going to think about retirement, especially with owning his own race team. You would think that he would probably be starting to move in that direction of, yeah, I'm getting a little old to be sitting in the race car. And Oh, by the way, maybe my, my talents and attention will be better focused on the team leadership standpoint to continue to grow 2311 to be the 
Uh, they, they got both cars in the playoffs this year for the first time ever. So continue to grow that organization into the contender that I'm sure that he and Michael Jordan would want it to be. So multi-year implies that it's more than just a 2024 season. But beyond that, we don't know if it's a two-year or five-year or 20-year deal. Who knows? Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll find out eventually. But, yeah, Danny Hamlin back at, uh, at, 20, or at uh, Toyota JGR, not really a surprise. I don't I couldn't believe that Toyota would let Denny Hamlin and 2311 get away just a year after they let Kyle Busch and his truck team get away. But I guess stranger things have happened. Okay, Andy? Yeah, to me, this this wasn't surprising. I feel like it was more expected than anything. I think anything other then this announcement would have been a bit of a surprise, but to Mike's point, when you look at what Kyle Busch did over the off season, anything was possible, but um, I think it made a lot of sense for Hamlin to re-sign with Joe Gibbs racing. He's raced his entire career there. I know Joe Gibbs has, has gone on the record and said that he hopes Benny Hamlin will race his entire career at Joe Gibbs racing. And then you look at it from Denny's team standpoint in 2311 racing, obviously, um, you know, I, I feel like it was probably important for them to remain with Toyota. Uh, they've been um, certainly, I think, Toyota's number two team behind Joe Gibbs Racing and have really done a, a pretty good job for Toyota since their inception. So, um, But obviously you can see why it, it probably took as long as it did to get it announced because it wasn't just a driver contract. It was a driver contract and a team contract with Toyota. And I know there had been a rumor that, 2311 was talking to Ford. Um, that to me would have been completely out of left field and not expected. I think that <laughs> when you look at the fact that you've got, you know, Penske, SHR, and, and RFK already in the Ford, in Rick Ware, if you, you know, looking at them as well, you know, Ford's got plenty of teams already. So 2311 joining them would have been, to me, completely unexpected because then that would have begged the question, where does Hamlin go from there? So I guess the point being that it all kind of happened the way that you'd expect it to happen with all the moving cars involved. Um, you know, however long Hamlin decides to race is anyone's guess, but it just seemed like, um, you know, it just seemed like the, the, it just seemed like the most plausible thing was for him to not only return to JGR, but, but for his own team to remain with Toyota and, Mike, I guess I, it also was mentioned that FedEx is coming back, at least in some capacity next year. There had been rumors that they were leaving the sport, but that's apparently not the case. FedEx will be on that car, at least in some capacity, for 2024. Yep, it just goes to show you, sometimes uh, you hear r- rumors from uh, from the media, and uh, it doesn't always pan out. And this is one of those examples. Uh, I think the big surprise would have been if he didn't come back with Joe Gibbs Racing or with Toyota. Uh, that would have created more ripples throughout the uh, industry uh, than this will. This is uh, what you would expect to happen. And uh, uh, I think it happened the way it should have happened. So uh, that pretty much uh, means uh, with this announcement, I think it's pretty safe to say that 2311 will also be with Toyota. And even though it hasn't been officially announced, I think Denny on his Actions Detrimental podcast uh, did indicate that things are pretty much wrapped up in that regard as well. So again, 
uh, I think this is the, the direction that makes the most sense, and I'm glad to see that it went that way um, uh, and uh, that we're not talking about them going with another manufacturer. Uh, and we'll see. Uh, I, I agree with Mike. It is a little bit of a surprise that it's a multi-year uh, extension to his multi-year contract extension. So I uh, would think that Denny Hamlin is getting to that point that he is considering winding down, but maybe part of his wind down is a two- or three-year wind down. So we'll see what happens uh, on that front. Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, a lot of people want to compare it to the Kyle Busch situation uh, from last year. It obviously involves the same team, Joe Gibbs Racing. There was a little bit of a difference. M&M said they were up and leaving the sport. FedEx is scaling back. But there are also some similarities. Um, one of the things, though, that the difference of, again, the full sponsorship versus the other, but also having Ty Gibbs in the uh, in the wings, if you will, or ready to call up if they wanted, versus right now maybe not having that immediate replacement ready to go or at least expected to um, with Denny Hamlin. So there are some things that are the same, some that are different. I was actually surprised to even hear the discussion that Denny Hamlin and or the 2311 team, and again, it's tough to draw the line, but he was wanting to keep them paired up. Uh, so was Kyle with his truck team, but that's a truck team, not a second cup team. So there again, there's the same, but different, uh, when you talk about their situations for them to even be, like I said, when I first heard that they may go to Ford and this and that, I was like, there ain't no way, but that the team did confirm there were some, at least discussions of, Hey, what if, you know, we're not signed with Toyota yet. It's not a done deal. And we talked about that, whether that was a leverage ploy by Denny Hamlin to, to force the hand or whatever. I don't think it necessarily was. It was just, hey, if I'm going to have a Ford team, I need to be driving for a Ford myself because of the manufacturer differences and what information could and wouldn't get shared then. So he did want it as a package deal. Um, you know, and, they, and he made that quite clear that he's not just looking out for himself. Same as Kyle Busch did. You know, he said, I'm not just looking out for myself, um, but for my team. The one thing when we're talking about the multi-year uh, extension, a lot of people wanted to pencil Danny Hamlin into driving for his own team. I don't know that he has ever given any indication that's what he wants to do, that's what he could do if he doesn't get this deal done or anything else. I think that a lot of that is fan and media perspective of, oh, what if Danny drove for his own team? I don't know where that necessarily had any grounds to walk on other than somebody running their mouth. Okay, Mike, what are your thoughts? I'll point of clarification for you, Sharon. Um, on the same podcast, the Actions Detrimental podcast, where they announced that Denny was coming back to JGR, Denny did say officially that 2311 will be racing Toyotas again next year. That is confirmed in a signed deal. So it's not assumption or speculation. That is confirmed and officially announced, just to clarify right. that. Um, right. With, with regard to what I said, the, uh, but... <laughs> yeah, uh, with, with regard to the deal, um, really not a whole lot to add. This is probably the last big moving piece in terms of silly season goes. Uh, we still don't know who's going to be in the number 42 next year. Um, but other than that, there's not a whole lot of big 
big name potential rides that are out there available and unspoken for. So it's, it, I, I'm not going to say it's going to be a quiet, silly season, but it seems like there's a, a lot less motion or a lot, a lot fewer question marks now than there were at this time last year. Who knows? There's still a lot of a lot of silliness to be had, so maybe some other stuff is going to happen. But uh, it really feels like some dust has settled this week. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't I don't uh, really have any follow up on this. I, I just think you know, like we said, this this to me was the most plausible thing to happen. You know, Hamlin to return to JGR in 2311 to stick with Toyota and. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just seemed like the, the most plausible scenario for sure. Okay. Yeah, you brought up a good scenario, Jay, uh, that, you know, Ty Gibbs is kind of part of all of this as well. He's in the wings. Um, so maybe this does say that they've made the decision not to bring him up into the ranks Um of JGR yet. Maybe we can look forward to him being another year in the Xfinity. Or no, he's in a cup car now. What am I thinking? He's Are you thinking John Hunter now, Nemechek? Right? right, yeah. Gibbs, oh, okay. Gibbs was their backup if they lost Kyle. Why? That's why that one could go either way. Right, okay. So John Hunter Nemechek is the one. Uh, that uh, is waiting in the wings, but he's the one that they're talking about going to possibly the 42 next season with Legacy Motor Club uh, as they switch over to Toyotas. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> okay, so, Jay, go ahead and wrap it up. Well, I know everybody said they really didn't have much to add. I actually do hear a little bit. One is to uh, disagree with Mike because got to do that no matter what. But, now, Sharon, you hit on it of uh, with Denny Hamlin. When it comes to Denny Hamlin and John Hunter Nemechek, I know he's been linked to the legacy, but at this point, Martin Truex is the one that's on a one-year, year-by-year. If they really want John Hunter Nemechek under the four-car actual Gibbs umbrella, I think that may still be the case of what they want him to go there, why they signed Denny Hamlin to a multi-year because he was willing to. Martin Truex is not. His has always now been year by year. Um, where I was going to say was that I disagree with Mike. Uh, first off, again, I'm with everybody. This was uh, logical, seemed to be the most direct and uh, path that it was going to happen, but we saw it may not. You never know. Uh, where I, where He's a big player, uh, but we kind of figured where he was going, um, the biggest name out there. But I think there are still a lot of other moving things. I know in Mike's opinion may not be big names or big teams, but there's still a lot to be settled here as far as rides. Um, They mentioned already Legacy. I put another one up, referenced the Wood Brothers. Um, Call it racing. They may need one or possibly two drivers. So there's still some things to, uh, to come about. Matt DiBenedetto being free in the tr- from the truck ride that he was with, who fills that, where Grant Enfinger's going to go. There's still a lot of things floating around as far as overall silly season when it comes to NASCAR. Yep, and we're anxiously awaiting news on those fronts. Okay, um, Mike, what's your? you get to choose the next top topic. 
Jay kind of stole the one that I posted up in our little chat group there, so I'll do the same thing. I'll steal one of his. Uh, Justin Marks had an interview on SiriusXM. I didn't hear the interview itself, but I saw a news article that kind of digested it a bit. And he talks a lot about how the uncertainty regarding the renewal of the charter system for the 2025 season and beyond is really a detriment right now for long-term planning for team owners. And as that date gets closer, only less than a year and a half from now, 17, 16, 17 months from now, it's, uh, it's having some serious repercussions when it comes to planning long-term for business expenses, whether they should try and continue to try and grow the team, how to sign sponsors, all those things. So the big question here, is the charter system holding NASCAR back at the moment and what should be done about it? Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, this is an interesting one for sure. And I think when you look at the charter system from it, from when it entered the sport, it was done so to try to provide a financial incentive for those teams that were running full-time, right? Teams that would buy a charter obviously would do so, you know, as an investment because it's expensive to buy a charter, but you would reap the financial reward from having a charter. Um, and, and the idea being that it would keep teams long-term in the sport. Um, so I can see why it was done in the first place. However, I think it has somewhat prevented any real growth to the Cup Series as far as new teams. And I say that because it's expensive to buy a charter, you know, if anyone's selling one to begin with. Um, because there's only a certain number of them to go around. It's not unlimited. Um, and I think that, you know, in order to really make money right now in the Cup Series, you got to be a chartered team. If you're, if you're an open team, it seems like there's a financial incentive to, to try to come start a team and run full-time. So I, I think that while the intentions were good from the onset, and I can certainly understand why the charter system was put into place. I do think that it is limiting growth and the ability for a new team to come in and, and run a full season. Um, and I say that because, you know, the only real new entities that we've seen lately um, are 2311 Racing and Trackhouse, and those were effectively existing entities, right? 2311 was the old Levine family racing, and they bought a second charter off somebody. I don't even remember who it was. Um, to get the second car going. And then, of course, Trackhouse is the old Ganassi racing, basically. So, you know, those were existing race teams that effectively became a new race team. We haven't seen somebody really start up, you know, Mike Orzel Racing, if you will. I don't know if you've done that yet or or not, Mike. But, um, you know, we haven't seen somebody start a new team and come into the Cup Series full-time because I think unless you've got a charter, it just isn't financially worth it. So, um yeah, I do think it's growth limiting, and I think that it might be time to to abolish it and find a new way for these teams to make money, and then you might start seeing uh, some new growth as far as new ownership and new blood coming into the Cup Series. Okay, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, they're going to hit on the two points that Andy made, and uh, by the time it gets back to Mike, he's not going to have a whole lot left to say because I know it's what he put up in the uh, – in the group chat there, but yeah, the, the initial creation of the charter system, which to me replaced the top 35 in point standings program, uh, took it to another level though, was good. There was value for a team when they opted to get out if they so chose. 
Um, but it created that created a secondary problem then of growth because now nobody is willing to try and get in without it and they can't afford to get one to get in. Um, you know, right now I don't even know if any of them are for sale. I know wrestler Ted DiBiase, you know, everybody's got a price. I'm sure you can, but the amount you're going to put up then to get a race team, we saw that with track house rather than try and buy a charter. They bought a whole two car team, um, you know, cause they felt that was a better investment. So, there, there's people that want to. Denny Hamlin with 2311 has talked about possibly expanding. Brad Keselowski with RFK has said, you know, that's you know maybe not right now, but in the future. Uh, Trackhouse has a third team. They run part-time. May consider going full-time if they had the driver sponsor that they could get together. Junior Motorsports in the Xfinity has expressed interest in moving to the cup. He outright said, I'm not paying $30 million for uh, a charter, you know. Um, so you run into that problem then of where is the growth? My thing is of under, without, you're going to have to modify it. Uh, I get that they want to give back to the team owners that are there and teams that are there week in and week out, as well as provide them something of a security when they decide to get out, they have something of value to sell rather than the, the, as they used to the cars and shop or whatever of pennies on the dollar, as they say, and come out behind even by getting out. Um, but you also got to encourage, or it's better for the sport, in my opinion, that you encourage teams to show up and at least try to get into races and or bring a team that will go full-time as well. And to me, the, the one thing that can happen is the take away the guaranteed start. Um, you're, you're, you got a charter, you get a little bit more money, I get it. But if another team shows up and outruns your team, they get to start the race, you don't. Based on the charter, you can get a little bit more money by missing the race than you would have if you hadn't don't have the charter. But then that non-chartered team also gets into the race, and they can make their money on the track. So just like the winner's program, you're on it for a year after you've won, uh, you get that, that portion. So you're a chartered team. You're not fast enough. We got enough cars. You're not fast enough to qualify. You don't race. You get a little extra money, even though you didn't make the race. But now that non-chartered team made the race and can race for the money that that they have available in that race. Okay. Yeah. In reading the article and everything, I think Justin Marks is just pointing out that uh, the fact that there's two two sticking points right now as far as planning for the future. And that is that they're still working on the charter agreement with NASCAR. And number two, there's the media rights deal that plays into that. So with those two things not still in negotiations, it makes it really hard for these charters to to develop their three- and five-year plans for the future because they don't know what it's going to look like. They know it's going to be different. They know that uh, there's going to be things that happen with the media rights deal and other things uh, that go into the charter agreement, but they don't know exactly what that's going to look like. So how do you put together a plan for 2020 or 20,000 or 20, 
for 2025 when you don't have the agreement in place yet. And that's the struggle that a lot of these team owners are coming up against right now uh, with these uh, negotiations not being resolved in a timely manner. So it really kind of straps them a little bit. And I think that's something that NASCAR needs to take into consideration. They need to to see if they can't uh, uh, work on that and get those agreements in place on a little bit more timely basis when you consider that the charter system is in place. Uh, Now, you guys have brought up a lot of good things about the charter system that maybe need to be changed or looked at. but but that right now there is a charter system in place. So you've got to work on this agreement with the teams, uh, with the Race Team Alliance, and you've got to work on this media rights deal and get it resolved so that these guys can plan moving forward. They need to put their plans in place now for the 2025 season, and they can't do it if you're still negotiating those charter agreements and the media rights agreements. So I think that's the big uh, stick up here and what Justin Marks is frustrated about at this particular point. Mike, what are your thoughts? NASCAR really put themselves in a box with this whole charter system. When it first came around in the mid-20-teens or so, it made total sense. The sport was in a period of decline and contraction. Uh, Attendance was way down. TV viewership was way down. And the number of cars showing up to the racetrack on a week-to-week basis was, uh, was way down. I think if NASCAR had not implemented the charter system, there was a very real possibility of having races, probably not the Daytona 500 or some of the more popular races, but some of those mid-season races, there was probably a good chance that we would have had sub-30 car fields for those races, just that many teams not really showing up. So we were looking at the prospect of having potentially fewer than 30 full-time teams in the NASCAR Cup Series. So I think NASCAR was absolutely right and smart to come up with a charter system to give a little bit more security and a little bit more buy-in for the teams to encourage them to continue to remain full-time with the sport. Now that the sport has kind of turned things around and it's in a period of growth and uh, expansion, the charter system has kind of become limiting. And it's a bit of a problem because there's, there's not a whole lot of places you can go from here. Because there is so much value wrapped up in those charters, I don't know how much NASCAR can do with them without getting sued by the teams. We talked about these charters being worth 10 20 or $30 million. If NASCAR does something that destroys the value of that, there's a very legitimate chance that they could get taken to court by the teams because of the loss of value to the organization that NASCAR would cause. So if they just arbitrarily added two or three more charters, it would cut that pie, the slice of the pie that much thinner. Or if they eliminated the charter system entirely, or even went with what Jay said, if you're no longer guaranteed entry into the race, all of those affect the value proposition of the charter based on the original charter agreement that the team signed in on. Now, you could say that, hey, buyer beware, the team signed up on it. They knew that NASCAR controlled it. It was a gamble. Sometimes you gamble and lose. And you wouldn't necessarily be wrong. And I'm not even saying if the team sued them in court, they, they wouldn't necessarily win. However, it would be really difficult to ever try and get a team to buy in on something in good faith, having seen what NASCAR had done with the charter system in the past. So it's a really difficult position to be in here. As far as what they can do with it, 
I think the, the, the new revenue sharing model that we talked about extensively last year uh, as part of the Art Race Team Alliance and the, the team owners uh, or the representatives of the team owners that all kind of came out publicly and said that this, this is not going well, this model needs to change, I think that's really where it comes down to. Don't necessarily take away from the charter teams. However, expand the opportunities for non-charter teams to make a little bit more money by being in the race and incentivize that showing up and being a part-time team that maybe doesn't try all the races, but when they do show up, it's not just to be effectively a field filler or a starting park. It really encourages them because they can make real money by showing up there. You can at least come out ahead. <laughs> trying, to put, trying to put together a NASCAR Cup Series team and just show up to a race and finish 30th, you're probably not going to end up making any money right now without a charter, which is why we don't see a whole lot of teams doing it right now. So if you made it financially viable for a team to start part-time, make enough money that they could eventually maybe, maybe be in the position to purchase one of those charters, I think that's probably the direction that they need to go. But undermining the charter system, I think, would be a recipe for disaster. Think about how bad it would look from a PR standpoint for NASCAR, the sanctioning body, to end up being sued by several of its biggest teams. It would just be ugly for all parties involved, and I hope we never end up going down that road. Okay, Andy? Yeah, I, I I don't really have a whole lot to go around on the second run here, um, but I, I just have to wonder, you know, what it's going to take moving forward to try to get new ownership into the sport. Um, I think that um, the price of the price of a charter for somebody that wants to buy one and, and get into the sport um, is pretty high. I've heard different numbers thrown around, but we're talking anywhere between probably 20 to 40 million for a charter. And it's really kind of a name your price situation from the standpoint of whoever's selling the charter can kind of just put an arbitrary number on it. And that's what they can get for it. And it's all about supply and demand. There's only 38, 36, 38 charters, right? So there's not that many of them to go around. So if you really want to get into full-time cup series racing and own a charter, it's going to cost you um, a lot of money. And I think that's the problem right now is um, it's just not financially feasible to get into the sport as a chartered team. So I, I would certainly like to see the model change at some point to where it is financially, you know, better for somebody who wants to get into cup racing to be able to get into it. And, and and not be you know twenty million in the hole to start. So um, I don't know. I just it, it's kind of a tough scenario that we're in right now. And I, I do think that our the current way of of conducting business as far as the charter system goes is going to have to change at some point. Okay, Jay, your follow up. Yeah, I, like I said, that, that's just my one possibility of a, of a fix action. Um, but I do think there is an issue that needs to be addressed and worked upon, and that is encouragement for new teams if they want to come in, have a legitimate shot at making all the races, um, and not worry about that of being excluded just because they don't have the charter. And then like, like uh, Andy and Mike both said, of it being financially worth it, um, I know the 
next gen car that you know the hope was that that would help bring the cost down so to encourage new owners uh i'm trying to think i honestly it was maybe andy petrie from richard childress racing said that for the teams that already existed and maintaining them you're not quite seeing it yet it's um helped a little but then as with anything as they said of now you're not designing your own pieces and all but with a lot of it, they're having to replace the parts that are there, so they're still spending that money in getting the replacement parts. So uh, he said it's kind of a wash. You certainly haven't seen any kind of great increase in um, money saving, especially since they had to transition over to it to begin with. That's still to be determined. Um, but I think for a new team coming in, it probably is a little bit cheaper than it used to be in the past. Um, but that we don't know because we don't have new teams coming in right now to even ask that question of. And that's where I think NASCAR needs to take a look. Uh, like I said, I'd like to see 40-some cars, 50-some cars at least have, if they show up and there are that many there, have a shot, a legitimate shot at racing their way in, not only those four spots. Yeah, you guys bring up all really good points with regard to the charter system and, and potential changes that are needed. But here's the problem. They don't have an agreement. They still need to plan for the 2025 season. As it says in this article, they're, they're uh, 16, 17 months away from the Daytona 500 of 2025. Uh, and financially, you have to put together your plan uh, for that season now they can't put together a plan because there's no movement in the negotiation and the race teams uh, with regard to the charters and there's also some stagnation uh, at least from the outside looking in with regard to the media rights so They've got to streamline this to where these negotiations can be resolved much earlier and not lagging like they are at this point in time. Can you imagine going into the 2025 season and not having a financial plan put together because the media rights and the because the, the teams haven't been able to get any movement with regard to the negotiations with NASCAR? That's a problem. And and they can't let it continue to linger uh, for for much longer. They're going to have to come up with a plan, uh, whatever that plan is going to be. Uh, and you guys bring up some good suggestions for that. But the the problem is, if there's no movement, there's no plan. Uh, how are they going to move forward financially with these teams? And that's what Tristan Marks is bringing up here. Um, there, there has to be some kind of movement here in order for them to move forward with their financial plans going into that 2025 season. Um, and I, I think it's going to become a bigger problem uh, the longer it lingers. So uh, I, they really have to kind of uh, come up with some compromises or come up with something here that's going to work. You guys brought up some great suggestions um, but the problem is they have to sit down at the table and, and make some movement with these negotiations. Mike? Well, I think the, 
the first thing that needs to get done is the media rights deal. I don't think really anything else can get done until the media rights are done. That be the, be the reason being is the media rights represent the lion's share of the revenue that we're talking about. The charter deal is basically just how we're going to slice up the pie. But until they know how much pie is on the table, they can't start slicing it. Uh, so getting that media rights mm-hmm. deal, yes, I, theoretically they've got until the start of the 2025 season to get it sorted out. But realistically, there's so many more moving pieces, like you said, Sharon, so many more moving pieces that are all contingent on that media rights deal because they've got to get media rights done, and then they've got to get the charter deal done, which is going to be a whole other big fight with the team owners. I'm sure that's, that's going to be if, – if the discussions that were had last year are any indication, that's going to be an ugly fight between NASCAR and the team owners for how they're going to do the revenue division from the new media rights deal. So I don't expect that deal to be done in any super quick period of time. And then once all that's done – then the individual teams can start doing the financial planning that it takes to get themselves prepared for the 2025 season and beyond. And it feels like, oh, we're sitting here in 2023. That's 2025 is so far away. It's really not. When you're talking about long-term business plans like that, it's really not that far away. So I can totally understand Justin Mark's frustration, and I really doubt that he's the only team owner feeling those frustrations right now. I'm willing to bet they all are. They all want to see this thing taken care of, but unfortunately – there's really not a whole lot of motion on it. Hopefully, once the season is done and we get into the off season, the focus can go from putting on this 2023 season to getting the pieces in place to get done with, you know, 2024 should be about done in terms of planning and execution. But they really need to get the pieces in place to do 2025 and beyond. And right now it seems like they've got a long way to go to get there. Yeah, it seems like they're behind the curve. Okay, uh, Andy? You get to choose our next top topic. Yeah, um, looks like potentially Harrison Burton uh, expected to be back for a third season in the Wood Brothers 21 next year. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, this is one that, uh, as I said, there's still some key, I won't say again top notch, but this is one of the more high-profile, when you talk about the Wood Brothers being a partner with Penske Racing. Um, what little I did get to listen to on the radio over the, over the weekend, interviewer, a clip I heard from Harrison Burton was he really wasn't sure and it, uh, didn't know about next year. This is coming out from, I believe it was Jordan Bianchi, if I'm not mistaken, that now it's pretty much done. Uh, not done and signed, but real close to it. So uh, to me, it was a little bit of a change, and maybe something did change from Sunday's race versus uh, today well, when this came out, but I think it's needed. Uh, you said it. It's his third year. We've seen that. We have exceptions. Ty Gibbs did a great job as a rookie, just missing the playoffs there in 17th or 18th in points, wherever he finished. But overall, what we've seen is it takes three to five years even for a driver to really get settled in and comfortable and start winning races and contending for championships. Um, so I think that they need to give him that opportunity uh, when it comes to other drivers available. Well, one of them would be one that's already been there, Matt Benedetto. So, you know, I don't see him going back to that and giving up on Harrison Burton. A couple in the Xfinity series that maybe, maybe not. So I think sticking with Harrison Burton is a good idea. Okay, Mike. 
Okay, good. My, my phone was frozen there for a second. Anyway, yeah, kind of like what Jay said, this is his third year, and we've seen – well, it's going to be his third year. And we've seen even great drivers like Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, William Byron take those three years or more to really get their feet under him and start winning races in the Cup Series. I would hope that Harrison Burton gets there. However, my concern is he is a lot further off during his first two years than Larson, Elliott, Byron, uh, Eric Jones, Daniel Suarez. All those guys were much closer to the front than Harrison Burton tends to be on a week-in and week-out basis. So I'm hoping that this third year, something, you know, some switch flips and he's able to capitalize on the opportunities that he has. As far as who would go into that car, I think that's another reason that Harrison Burton got another another year to do it. There's really not a strong candidate to go back in there. Um, you mentioned Matt Benedetto. Man, that bridge is cold ashes right now. There's no way he's going back into that car. So who else is available in the Ford camp? Unless they start, you know, if Stuart Haas racing were to downsize, like the rumor has that, uh, that they might end up doing, potentially one of the drivers that were displaced out of Stuart Haas racing, if there was somebody displaced out, could end up in that 21 car and stay with a Ford. Um, Zane Smith is another Ford guy who's kind of unspoken for right now. Carson Hosevar seems to be a fairly hot free agent. Yes, he's still a Chevrolet guy by and large. However, that's nothing that a couple couple hundred thousand, a couple million dollars can't fix. So, you know, write the check if you want to buy Carson Hosevar's services. Um, but there's really no proven drivers out there that would say, yes, this guy is clearly better than Harrison Burton. Let's get rid of Burton and put this guy in. And I think that really benefits Burton, giving him that extra opportunity to develop. Now, this third year, I would say, is probably going to be make or break for him, especially if there is a hot prospect at the end of the 2024 season. Burton really needs to perform. I'm not even saying he needs to be a championship threat, but he needs to be a weekly top 20 threat, and right now he hasn't really been there. He's shown signs of speed here and there, but generally he's racing in the mid-20s, if not into the 30s, in a car that should be much, much better than that. So hopefully with another year of experience, we're able to see that 21 car back further towards the front. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, if this is true and Harrison Burton is expected back at Wood Brothers, I think it's a good move. I think that uh, he is um, uh, definitely a driver uh, that deserves to get that chance. We have seen some improvement from him. Uh, in fact, I think this week he was uh, – let me take a look at it here again um, – in. He had a good finish uh, at Darlington. I'm going to just look it up here real quick. Well, maybe not. No, he didn't. He got caught up in that accident. But I think he was running pretty good before that accident happened, which was no fault of his own (laughs) uh, when the accident between Suarez and Bowman happened. So I think he has shown some improvement. Um, uh, Let's face it, the next-gen car, uh, let alone the Cup Series, has been uh, a bit of a challenge for veteran drivers as well as some of the newer drivers. So I think think drivers should be given that opportunity uh, and, and more time in the cars. Uh, to get acclimated and to improve their skill. Uh, the, the Cup Series is, ex- is highly competitive. I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, we used to see a lot more incidences happen on the racetracks like at Darlington 
Uh, not that we didn't see some, but there used to be a lot more uh, that we would see at a track like Darlington. And these guys, and even Daytona, these guys are are top-notch drivers, and they're doing very well uh, as the elite uh, series of the sport. So uh, Harrison Burton did very well uh, on the ladder coming up to the Cup Series. Uh, he was a uh, contender to win just about every every race, and I do think that um, uh, the Cup Series uh, should he should be given that chance uh, to acclimate for another year. We'll see what happens next season, but I think we're already seeing some signs of him getting better. Andy? Yeah, I I hope this is true because I do think he uh, has earned the opportunity um, to run at least one more season in the 21 car. Um, obviously, his rookie season and this year, they've been tough. There's no doubt about that. Um, and things haven't gone the way that they've hoped. Um, but they obviously just made a crew chief and team change between the Penske 2 and the Wood Brothers 21, which, of course, as we all know, the, the Wood Brothers is pretty much a fourth Penske car anyway. Um, you know, and, and this is this is kind of a, a wake-up call, I feel like, from a performance standpoint, you know, for both teams, really, the 2 and the 21. You know, I think in Cindric's case, it, it kind of makes sense for them to make the move. They've been struggling, and, you know, Cindric's reunited with Brian Wilson, who he had a lot of success within the Trinity series. Um, that that connection between Wilson and Burton didn't really seem to, to translate to the Cup Series. Obviously, um, you know, they never worked together before the Cup Series. And it was probably unfair for Burton, too, because Wilson was moved up as a rookie Cup crew chief, and Burton was a rookie driver. And, and any time you have that scenario, it's, it's just a really, really tough position to be in. Um, you know, so here we are a year and a half later, with a with a crew chief change and a crew change on the on the two and twenty one, and now Burton's paired with Jeremy Bowens, who has won races with the Wood Brothers, has won races with Kozlowski when he drove the two car, has won you know the Daytona five hundred with Austin Cindric. This is a race winning playoff contending crew chief that you have now atop the pit box. So the point being that you know they've made a change to try to make performance better for the 21 car and the two car, but it's time to get results. And I think that, you know, certainly has, has earned the right to have a third year in the car, you know, certainly the rest of this year to help prepare for next year, but next year needs to be a result oriented season. I, I feel like if they can't win a race or make the playoffs next year, where Burton goes from there, I don't know, but I feel like if they can't get results next year, he's probably out of that car. Um, you know, and I hate to say that because I think Harrison's a good kid that obviously comes from a good family, a family that is, you know, certainly has a rich racing history in the Burtons, but um, you got to get results at some point. And he's in a good car. There's no doubt that the Wood Brothers 21 is a good car, but if the results don't come, you know, Next year, I, I, I have to wonder what the future might hold. But at least changes have been made to where hopefully things do improve and, and hopefully they can get the results they're looking for. And if so, you know, then Harrison can solidify himself, you know, as belonging in the Cup Series long term. 
Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I'm going to pick up where Andy left off there, and Mike alluded to for next year, results-based. It is a results-driven sport. But sometimes you've got to look beyond that. I think it was Mike said it, uh, or no, I'm sorry, Sharon, caught up in something out of his own doing. Okay, that happens. But when it happens consistently, it means you're probably running around the wrong pack of drivers. That doesn't happen a whole lot up front, you know, week in and week out, versus it does towards the back. And a, a lot of drivers talk about that, how different it is running 20th to 30th versus top 15, top 10, who you're driving around. But second off, look at Ford and other Ford drivers in similar positions to Harrison Burton. Now, he is at the bottom um, as far as drivers with 27 races. All 27 races started. But just above him, Chase Briscoe, Todd Gillen's a couple up, Ryan Priest is in 26, Eric Almirola is not that far ahead of him along with his other teammate, uh, one of the Penske cars, Austin Sindrick. Even Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano, although got a win and in the playoffs, haven't exactly been burning it up week in and week out. So, you know, and we know Ford's been having some lag, lack of what other, other manufacturers have had. We've talked about that. So, really, where is Harrison Burton and compared to that within the Fords? Um, and, again, then you add in the, you know, at the wrong place at the wrong time. And I can't even say it's necessarily always uh, it's who it's around. Some of those drivers, it really just does seem to be that when something happens, they're around it and they get involved in it. Um, but I'm with Sharon. I have watched him come through. I actually got to see him at a couple of races uh, in the K&N, at that time the K&N East Series. He is one that watching him really showed he knew how to take care of a car and be there at the end. Granted, you're moving up to the Cup Series. takes a little bit more to do that takes a little longer because they're longer races. Maybe he hasn't quite adjusted to that yet, but I think he can. I think he has that kind of talent. Mike? You know, everybody gets caught up in a wreck every once in a while that they didn't cause or it wasn't really their fault. But the analogy that I like to use for drivers who use that excuse over and over and over and over again, and Harrison Burton is far from the only one, you know, we talk about Haley Deeg and Danica Patrick or two, or two more that are consistently talking about getting caught up in other people's crashes. It's not their fault, et cetera. But the analogy that I like to say is when you spend all day at the circus, you should not be surprised when you're surrounded by clowns. And when you're surrounded by clowns, you should not be surprised to get caught up in their funny business. And what that means is when you're running in the middle to the back of the pack every single day, every single race, even if you're not the one causing the wreck, you're the common denominator because you're wrapped up in somebody else's stuff, racing against cars that if you were the driver that everyone says you are and wants you to be, you wouldn't be racing back there with those drivers who catch you up in foolishness every week. So the, the defensive burden of, oh, well, he's not the one causing all the wrecks that he's in, it's, it's not necessarily wrong, but at the same time, He's the common denominator. And kind of like what you like to say, Sharon, you know, once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, three times or more. I don't know that I want to call it a habit, but it, it becomes a common denominator that can't be ignored. So that's kind of the improvement that I want to see out of Burton is get yourself out of the back to the middle of the pack 
and avoid some of the foolishness that you get caught up in. And the way you do that is to start racing at the level that everyone says you should be able to be racing at. We haven't seen it so far, but that's what I'm hoping to see out of Burton uh, coming up in the, hopefully starting this week, but if, if nothing else, certainly for next season. Yeah, I would say uh, I agree with you guys that this next year is a, is a year that we need to see a strong improvement from Harrison Burton. Uh, but I think he's capable of it. I think we've seen some of that improvement. And if there's some way that you think Harrison Burton, they were racing up toward the top ten when that accident happened with Daniel Suarez and Alex Bowman. Uh, and Harrison Burton uh, was an innocent victim in that. I don't know how you can relate that to first time's an accident, second time's a coincidence, and third time's a habit. Uh Nobody wants to make it a habit of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, that that's that's the wrong um, uh, an analogy that you want to put on Harrison Burton in that, that particular case. It doesn't really apply. Um, but because a lot of drivers, like you say, are in the wrong place at the wrong time, and sometimes it's it's top tier drivers that are in the wrong place at the wrong time and get caught up in somebody else's mess. Um, this example uh, is, is, is totally Harrison Burton had nothing to do with that. Um, but I agree with you that this next season, he definitely has to show some improvement and uh, be racing up in that top 10 and contending for wins. Uh, more top five finishes. Uh, it, it didn't happen this year. He's got, uh, let's see if I can, can see it here. I think it's uh, three DNFs, uh, and he does have, I believe, i got to scroll down so I lose my place, two top ten finishes on the season, and that's not going to be acceptable next season. Um, but I think that Jay brings up a really good point as well, and that is Fords in general have been struggling the last two years with this next-gen car. Uh, that's not Harrison Burton's fault either. Uh, Ford has to do better as well and give him equipment that he can race in. So I think that that's something that needs to be taken into consideration here uh, because um, I'm looking, he is the lowest board in the standings. Uh, I will give him that, but he's right there with Chase Briscoe, who has been kind of in the same situation as him. Uh, And I know Chase Briscoe is a good driver too. Uh, And uh, his results don't necessarily um, indicate how well he's run throughout the season. So uh, I do think that they've, they're making the right decision. I agree with everybody that he needs to show some improvement. So, Andy, you get to wrap it up. Andy, are you still with us? Uh, yeah, sorry, the old uh, mute button got me there. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, it would be a shame for Harrison to be taken out of the car after this year. So, you know, I, I hope he gets a third season in the car because, in my mind, you know, that's 
enough time, I think, to prove that you belong, right? So, um, but yeah, I mean, obviously it's been a tough couple of seasons. There's been no doubt about it. We've seen flashes of him running well. I think the spring race this year comes to mind where he ran really well at Darlington, um, you know, and, and this past weekend was a wreck not of his own doing. So that's, you know, that's the thing is it's, it's like when they do run good, something happens. And then of course, when they don't run good, they get a poor finish. So it's just been one of those years for him for sure, you know, but you know, you have to hope that a crew change, you know, gives them the time to prepare, you know, and, and do what it takes to, to move, you know, into next year with the ability to go out there and run well, you know, and, and yeah, obviously, you know, his point standing is, is tough, you know, and, and, I know you guys are comparing him to Briscoe, but Briscoe had a 120-point penalty, too. So I think that in itself kind of showcases where the 21's been this year. They have not been good, but they have that ability now to try to get good as the season closes itself out. Um, you know, especially right. with, you know, you know and, and I think one really good point that I want to try to bring up, too, is that, um, and I know we're coming up to 1030 here, but real quick, um, Brian Wilson was a is a is, is a very inexperienced cup crew chief and that's who he had you're now bringing him jeremy bullens who has worked with previous drivers and is a veteran cup series crew chief and i have to think that that veteran leadership could go a long way for, for a younger guy like harrison burden i think harrison has has proven to me based off on what he's done in the truck and the Xfinity series that he is a cup series capable driver and, you know, maybe with the right leadership, that's the spark that will allow him to, to get better and, and be a playoff guy next year. And, and I'd love to see it. I like the guy. I think he's a good kid with a good head on his shoulders. And, you know, hopefully this is the right opportunity for him to get better. All right. We'll let that be the last word on that topic. We are at that time of the night that uh, I make an announcement to our first-time listeners to let you know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But we are going to continue recording the rest of our conversation uh, beyond that time, and that will be part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. What I'll do is I'll go out on Facebook and Twitter and let you know when the podcast is available. And at that point, you can fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. So, again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard and not know, uh, you know, what's going on when we're going off air talking mid-sentence. So that's why we do this announcement. Uh, So with that, Jay, do you have another hot topic you want to talk about? Well, I did put one up on the board. Like I said, I think the Denny Hamlin and now the Harrison Burton one were the only ones that were actual news. Uh, this one is just kind of an opinion. Uh, there's some news that with it, but we're one race into a total 10 race uh, playoffs for the championship. But round one, one out of three. How has the out, playoff outlook changed and opinions of what we thought even after this first race? Give me Kyle Larson is moving on to the next round. That's a guarantee now. But if you didn't have him moving on into the second round, uh, you, you might have wanted to rethink your bracket anyway. <laughs> All right, Mike. Well, there's really not a whole lot of panicking that needs to be done right now, unless you're Michael McDowell. 
And I don't know that there's ever been a driver. This is the second year that he's made the playoffs, and I'm sure this is the second time that he really, really wishes that the round of 16 tracks and the round of 12 tracks were swapped because Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol are not really his strong suit. But if he could have survived, somehow survived this round and made it into the round of 12, you got to look at – they've got uh, – uh, I think it's Las Vegas. No, it's Texas. Talladega and uh, uh, Charlotte Roval. So Talladega and the Charlotte Roval are probably the two strongest type tracks for McDowell. But unfortunately, based on the accident that they had on on Sunday evening, it doesn't look very good for Michael McDowell in that 3014, unless they can kind of pull a rabbit out of the hat and put in a performance that's not typical of that team coming up here at either Kansas or Bristol, things are not looking good for the number 34. The rest of the teams are kind of still in striking distance. Harvick was below the cut line, but he got a bunch of stage points, and it kind of negated the the bad finish that he got as a result of I, – I can't even say it was bad pit strategy. It was just unfor- unfortunate circumstances with the number four team and the way the caution fell right as they were coming onto pit road and, and whatnot. But I think the stage points kind of made up for that. Everybody else, I think, has has kind of held serve, and there hasn't been a lot of serious movement up or down in that playoff standings. Yes, I'm aware drivers have moved up or down, but in terms of strengthening or weakening of their position, I don't know that there's been a whole lot of movement there. I expect to see a lot more changes coming weekend at Kansas, but coming out of Darlington, really the the only team that I would say needs to be really worried is that number 34. Okay, Andy? Yeah, and this is I kind of alluded to it, you know, as we wrapped up our Cup Series recap. Um, really have to echo what Mike just said. I think that, you know, it's you don't want to get too excited after just one race because there's still two races to go, and you know that there will be things that happen this weekend that further shuffle the points. The ending. So if you're below the cut line right now, you probably don't need to be too concerned, but uh, to Mike's point, Michael McDowell at already 20 points back of the cut line. Uh, they're going to need a good weekend this weekend. If they have a repeat or a poor performance um, this weekend, that probably seals their fate unless they can win Bristol. So, um, you know, and conversely, though, even if you're above the cut line, not by a lot, you're, you're still not safe. You know, I mentioned earlier in the show that Kansas is arguably Bubba Wallace's best racetrack. They've they won this race a year ago. They, the team 2311 racing typically runs really well there, as does Toyota. So you have to think that he's going to be a factor, not just for a good finish, but possibly to win this weekend. And I, I, I say that seriously. Like, that's somebody that can win this race this weekend. So if he wins it, being a driver below the cut line, you know, that's going to bump somebody further down the list. But as far as getting too excited or putting too much into the points right now, I really think Kansas is probably the pivotal race as far as, you know, the driver positioning going into the cutoff race versus course at Bristol. Um, but I think that I, – I do think that if you are presently below the cut line, you, you can't really afford a poor race this weekend. You do have to run well, but if you can at least maintain your position or at least gain points on the cut line – then you probably put yourself in a good spot going into next weekend. But if you're already at a, a sizable deficit like McDowell, then, you know, he's in a he's in a position where he really does need a, a good finish this weekend for sure. 
Yeah. Uh, again, we kind of covered it a little bit when we were uh, doing our recap here. Um, you know, there are drivers that are below that cut line that could very well win this weekend as well. Uh, the the guys, uh, there were several of the playoff drivers uh, that finished pretty well below uh, the top 10. Kyle Busch and, and Joey Logano had an 11th and 12th place finish, but you have a lot of drivers. Stenhouse Jr., Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick, Chris Bell, Denny Hamlin, Michael McDowell, all of those drivers finished uh, not where they wanted to finish. Uh, and that's their mulligan, if you will, in this three-race round. So one's down, two more to go. They've got to have a good showing, I think, at Kansas because it's going to be a little bit more of a wild card again when you get to Bristol. So uh, if if you get a driver like Michael McDowell that goes into Kansas and wins that race, and he's shown that he can do that, uh, that's going to shake things up quite a bit. He's no longer vulnerable, and now you've got somebody else that's on that cut line. Uh, and so all these drivers that had a bad day at Darlington are really, uh, they've got to really tighten up their, their P's and Q's, if you will, as they go into Kansas this weekend because they can't afford another mulligan going into uh, Bristol the following week. So... Uh, It's going to be interesting. Um, I think right now things are lined up pretty much kind of where we thought maybe they would. Kevin Harvick was showing some good signs of running well until the mishap on pit road. Um, So I don't think his finish necessarily equates to how he was really running. Uh, Christopher Bell had a horrible day. uh, at Darlington. Uh, so the kind of things that they were running into, Michael McDowell had a horrible accident. Uh, so we'll see what happens at Kansas. But I think I think things could get shook up a little bit more at Kansas. Jay? Yeah, I, I don't know that there's any, with the exception of maybe Michael McDowell, but there are a few, I think, that have kind of changed uh, maybe the projection we were looking at, and it's still not a guarantee. And I'll use Christopher Bell. He got talked about on Sirius XM Radio. Last year, every round, the two rounds, he went to the final four. Every or every round, he was winning that walk-off race at the end of it. So nobody is out of it because you can pick up the win in race number three. But I look, I started with, obviously, Bubba Wallace. He was the last, or he was the one to get in on points in the last position. Um, had a good Darlington race. Kansas coming up, he is a race winner at that track. Then you go to Talladega, which is a wild card. But again, he is a good restrictor, or not restrictor plate. Got to not use that no more. Super speedway racer. Especially again, Talladega has a victory. Kevin Harvick is one that I find a little concerning. Again, he wasn't winning races throughout the year. He started towards the tail end. He was locked in on points, up in points, sixth or seventh in points, but because of the so many winners, started down in the, I believe, 14th or 15th place, 
and doesn't have any bonus points to fall back on. He's one that can't afford to have that mulligan because he doesn't have the playoff points built up that, say, William Byron or Denny Hamlin have. You know, they're almost, I, I, I didn't do the math, but pretty much were a lock guaranteed almost to move into the next round, even without a win, based on their regular season and playoff points they had built up. So that's where I get a little concerned for Harvick. Christopher Bell hasn't looked like uh, we saw and made the championship four run last year. But like I said, you win that third race, Talladega. Game on, you're moving to the next round. So uh, there's a little bit more than what I, difference from what I expected. But so far, again, nobody's been like, oh, wow, they're in a must win already. Mike, your follow-up? The perception of the round of 16, it always seems like it, it, the perception is that this round is to flush out the people who should never have been in the playoffs to begin with. But historically, there always seems to be at least one surprise elimination and one surprise advance. You know, a guy that you figure he should never have been in the playoffs to begin with, he had no business in here, and all of a sudden he's advancing way deeper than we expected. Uh, Austin Dillon has filled that role. Chase Briscoe has filled that role. Both guys, I think, were kind of left for dead, expected to be out in the round of 16 uh, in their respective playoff years and made it much, much further than that. This year, I think Bubba Wallace is going to be that guy, kind of like what Andy said. 23-11 as a whole, and Bubba Wallace in particular tend to run very well at Kansas, I think, barring some sort of unforeseen disaster. I mean, engines blow, tires cut, et cetera. Uh, I think Bubba Wallace has a very strong finish at Kansas this, uh, this weekend. And he tends to be a fairly decent short track racer as well. So I think he'll be able to hold serve on uh, Bristol. The big question is going to be who is going to be the surprise elimination. You look at, uh, uh, I would say, Ricky Stenhouse and Michael McDowell, barring something unforeseen, some sort of a, a walk-off miracle. I don't see either one of those guys advancing out of there. Um, so I think Bubba Wallace will advance. The big question is going to be who will be eliminated. Uh, and the surprise elimination that I've got, it really comes down to a few guys there. We talked about Christopher Bell. It feels like that 20 team, the wind is really out of their sail. Uh, they had a not terrible, but certainly not great run at Darlington. And that's kind of been typical for them this summer. They didn't turn it on to begin in, begin the playoffs. That's not to say they can't turn it on at Kansas. Um, but, you know, it, it's it, time is running short for that number 20 team. You look at Joey Logano is another one where – they, they're not in a great position. They, I, yes, he's the defending champion, but he doesn't have the large stack of playoff points that he had at this time last year. They haven't really had the strength and momentum that they had this time last year, and they haven't had the consistency that they had last year. Remember, Logano didn't really get super hot in the playoffs. He was just super consistent the whole way through, and I really haven't seen that this year with the number 22 team. Kevin Harvick's another one you guys talked about where – they don't have that cushion to fall back on like they have in years past. They got the, play, the, the stage points at Darlington, which is really what saved them from their, their bad uh, pit road misfortune. But other than that, Kevin Harvick would be right back there almost with Michael McDowell in terms of being in a very, very deep hole to dig themselves out of. And they, they can't afford to have another hole like that. So as far as a surprise elimination from there, I already said Bubba Wallace is my pick for a surprise advance. I would say my pick for a surprise elimination has got to be uh, Joey Logano. Uh, Christopher Bell and Kevin Harvick, I think, will be saved by Bristol. 
they both tend to run pretty well on short tracks. Stuart Haas Racing has been down in general, but they do tend to be fairly strong at short tracks this year. That's one of their few times where they do show speed on a fairly consistent basis. And Christopher Bell, again, another strong short track racer. Uh, He won the dirt race at Bristol, obviously a very different animal from the concrete they're going to be racing on in two weeks' time. But I think Christopher Bell's short track prowess is going to to carry him over the line. And the lack of consistency and strength from the number 22 team will see our defending champion being eliminated very early in this year's playoffs. Okay, Andy, your follow-up. Well, if you want a surprise elimination for me, I, I would almost have to look at Kyle Busch as that driver. And I know that's hard to believe, but, you know, their performance this year has been kind of hot and cold. Obviously they have won, you know, which got them into the playoffs, but they haven't been that flashy as of late, you know, and, and their performance at Darlington was kind of just okay, not fantastic. And, you know, if they continue on that path, um, you know, Kansas and Bristol, then they, they could find themselves in a difficult spot. Bristol, of course, is a good racetrack for Kyle, but I just have to look at him comparatively speaking to some of these other teams. And, you know, if, you know, we talk about Bubba Wallace being someone that can advance to the round of 12, well, somebody has to get knocked out. And, and you could almost argue that, you know, the eight car is really somebody that could easily be knocked out. Um, they, to me, have, they're, they're one of the weaker playoff cars and, you know, that could, like I said, be proven wrong for sure over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, I would almost look at somebody like that as, as a surprise elimination. And a surprise certainly from the standpoint of Kyle Busch is a former champion and someone you wouldn't expect to be eliminated in the first round, but it certainly could happen. Yeah, I would say what to watch for at Kansas this weekend is uh, who was able to rebound from their Darlington race. Uh, A sign of a champion is a driver that's able to to, uh, uh, stay focused and let that kind of in the rearview window uh, as far as uh, uh, moving forward. And uh, some drivers are able to do that, some drivers are not. I think most drivers put this week in the rearview mirror uh, when they go to the next, as soon as Monday arrives, and they're already looking ahead to the upcoming week of racing. Uh, but uh, we're talking about the playoffs. There's added pressure. There's added um, uh, sponsors are looking for more. Uh, team owners are looking for more. Uh, fans are looking for more. Everybody's looking for more once these playoffs begin. And it's which drivers are going to be able to handle that pressure. Uh, so uh, I think that makes Bubba Wallace a little bit of a, a wild card, if you will, and maybe a little bit vulnerable as well because uh, coming into that last race of the season, he was on pins and needles. He was able to prevail. He was able to get that win just because Chris Buescher won that race instead of Kevin Harvick or instead of uh, a new race winner. So, Let's see how these guys perform at um, at uh, Kansas. And if they have another bad day, 
they're going to be in deep trouble and probably going to be the one that gets eliminated. Uh, Christopher Bell had a horrible day. I, I think he's another vulnerable driver. Joey Logano, I think, has shown that he knows how to handle that pressure. I, I'm not as worried about Joey Logano as I am uh, as, as as I am some of these other guys. Ricky Stenhouse, Michael McDowell certainly are the most vulnerable. They're the furthest down in the points. Um, and and we'll see what happens. They might surprise us too. So who who's going to prevail and rebound the best? coming out of Darlington. Okay. Well, first off, unfortunately, I can't necessarily even argue with Mike when it comes to Joe Logano because he made some great points. We haven't seen that from him uh, like we have in the past. So whether or not the next two races, just that consistency, even in 15th, I say mid-pack for the 22 uh, team, that's uh, about as far back when they're having an off day, barring something taking them out. Um, just to play devil's advocate, I'll go a little further than that and pick a different driver, though, Ross Chastain. And he is one, too, that they got the win, but they have not been dominant top five contending for wins week in and week out um, throughout the season, the hot cold, like he mentioned. What concerns me when it comes to Ross Chastain, especially depending on Kansas, of one that will know where he's at and try and amp up. And I think back to Martinsville. I got one shot at it. I got to do this. I'm going to do it uh, to not get in that panic mode. You talk about the veterans that Kevin Harvick, Joy Logano, um, Christopher Bell. I mean, he wasn't in a panic, but he knew he had, you know, was in a position. We didn't see him go balls to the wall just to make it happen. Whereas Ross Chastain, you might see that happen and might see it happen too early, cause him to create his own hole and end up not getting the finish he deserves. So that would be the one that I guess it would be my concern. But you all made valid points when it comes to Logano um, as well as Harvick. Even Kyle Busch, I know he's a little bit further up there in points, but you're right. They've kind of had that hot, cold streak, even getting the the, uh, multiple wins, um, just not being consistent. What I really kind of surprised me, though, we're talking about Ricky Stenhouse, and he's the second one from the bottom in points. We've seen it before. You win the Daytona 500, so you're in the playoffs, but you really belong there, you know, or whatever. But throughout the year, they have set um, team bests and I think driver bests at several different tracks that showed that improvement for them. So I was a little surprised not to see a little bit more out of them here in the final races leading up to and going here into the playoffs. Okay, all really good points. So we'll see what happens at Kansas and then Bristol for when they eliminate and go down to uh, the top 12 drivers. All right, uh, I don't know that we have any other topics uh, listed. Uh, Mike, it would be you up next. Do you have any other topics? No, I was, I was scrolling through the list, and I see the same thing you did. An hour and a half worth of hot topics tends to chew through them pretty good, and I don't think we rushed through any of them. We covered them pretty thoroughly, and I have nothing new to bring up. Okay. Well, Mike, let's start with you then for the roundtable. Sure. It's going to be Mike underscore Ozell on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. It's playoff time, and I'm excited to see it. Uh, 
I think maybe I'll be available on Thursday. I'm on call for work, so I'll keep you posted. But uh, I look forward to talking to you the next time I talk to you, whether it's Thursday or sometime other than that. Okay, sounds good. We always like having you. Andy, thank you for being here tonight. You did a good job. Yeah, thanks as always for having me on and always look forward to doing the uh, the full shows periodically. Uh, CB14 fan on Twitter, and um, I will be back Thursday for sure. Okay, that's good to hear. And, uh, Jay, uh, looking forward to our Thursday preview show. Most certainly. Uh, again, a lot of things we're going to talk to uh, when it comes to the preview show. I'll go through a little teaser out there. We're going to have some preview in there to certainly highlight for dirt tracks with the super late models as they head to Eldora, Eldora for the World 100. So we'll get to that on Thursday. But you can follow me yeah. on Facebook, Michael Michael Hoosman. Yeah, I saw Davenport's uh, paint scheme. It's pretty sweet looking. Um, <laughs> follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And I will try to later on tonight get up our fantasy. I know I'm a little behind with that to get that going. We got all three this weekend. But I lastly wanted to echo Sharon's thank you, Andy, for, for filling in. I know I did when I started the show. Uh, that really did help me out a lot uh, here tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Always uh, happy to help out when I can. Well, we appreciate it. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website uh, where we have our Fan for Racing play deer, uh for our podcast. Uh, big shout out to our listeners for tuning in. We're always uh, it, we like doing the live broadcast when we can do them. Uh, and Jay and I will continue our podcast on Thursdays uh, and have that available. I, I know when Bristol comes up, we're going to be glad we're doing a podcast because there's a race on Thursday night uh, that uh, Bristol weekend. So uh, the podcast comes in handy in those cases. Um also, a big shout-out to our Fan for Racing crew, Mike, Andy, Jay, all of you. I appreciate each and every one of you. You always have good points that you bring up during our Hot Topics discussion, and uh, uh, it's always good to hear a different point of view. So with that, I think we're ready to uh, call it a night here on Fan for Racing Radio for tonight and uh, say our goodbyes. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you again on Thursday.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.